0: It's November 28th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Grab your maps, folks, because we are going around the world this morning, focused on international events and why those matter to us. First up, we go to the South American country of Guyana, where U.S. leaders from the Pentagon are headed there this week, talking to that country's leadership about building new U.S. military bases there. I'll explain why. Second, our friend in Fiji, the Prime Minister Rambo. Unfortunately, he is getting a little bit weak-kneed on us, and that's because he is deciding to draw closer to China. We'll talk about that update to our Battle for the Pacific. Third, we are making a big sweep of Europe this morning, five nations in all, to talk about a continent that is splitting apart politically, all because of illegal migration. I'll discuss how that is also important for us. But first, let's grab our maps and head south this morning to the country of Guyana. And that is because leaders from the U.S. Pentagon are landing in the capital city of Georgetown this week, responding to leaders there who say that they are in need of our help. Now, before I tell you why, let's refresh our memories on this tiny little country. We first spoke of it back on June 27th when we covered the history of this former Dutch and then British colony. We also covered why it is such an incredible place with its dense jungles and big rivers and beautiful waterfalls and beaches. And oh, yeah, a whole lot of oil. As you might remember, oil was discovered there about 10 years ago with surveys finding that the oil fields are just as big, if not bigger, than the U.S., Mexico, and even Kuwait. Now, depending on the price of oil, that pencils out to around $150 to $170 billion of revenue each year for that little government, and that's not too bad for Guyana. Their current annual budget is about $1.5 billion, give or take. Well, as you would probably guess, the Guyanese people and the government there have been overwhelmed and hopeful about all this new money, in no small part because the country has been desperately poor for decades. But they're also, frankly, a little bit afraid, too. And that's because their neighbor to the West, Venezuela, says that three quarters of Guyana is actually theirs. And most of that oil? Yeah, Venezuela says that that is theirs, too. And they base their claim on a 200-year-old dispute. And this is kind of fun. So back in the year 1814, the Dutch turned over control of this land to the British. And then about 75 years later, there was a huge gold discovery. And that led to the first big fight over the border with Venezuela. An international commission got together to discuss this matter, and they settled it in the year 1899. And they decided that the border should be where it is today. But then in uh, the year 1949, a mysterious letter turned up and it suggested that that 1899 year commission had a secret Russian agent on it. And he colluded with the British to steal Venezuela's land and their gold. Well, Venezuela has been fighting that commission ever since. But now folks are not interested in those gold deposits, or at least not as much as they used to. They are much more interested in the hundreds of billions of dollars in oil which means that the fight between Guyana and Venezuela is getting pretty nasty. And that is a problem for Guyana, because while Venezuela has a navy and a military to defend its claims, although not in great shape, still they got one. Guyana doesn't have either. In fact, Guyana's military consists of a couple thousand people with a few patrol boats, a couple battalions of ground forces, and some very modest equipment. And that background takes us to our news. The Guyanese vice president shared late last week that the U.S. Pentagon would be arriving this week talking about possible U.S. military bases and a U.S. naval presence in his country. Quote, we were never interested in military bases, but we have to protect our national interest and all options are on the table for us. Every option to defend our country will be pursued, end quote. So this Pentagon trip, by the way, comes just days before Venezuela is going to hold a referendum held on December 3rd about whether their country has proper claim to those three quarters of Guyanese land. Now, analysts expect that the socialist regime that runs Venezuela will have an overwhelming victory. But Guyana says it's not going to acknowledge the results, whatever they are. And that is why they are asking for foreign help. So those are the latest faction data coming to us from out of Guyana, our oil-rich little buddy to the South. Let me pivot now to my analysis and opinion. So I'm actually interested in how China responds to this crisis, because on one hand, they have a very close relationship with Venezuela. It is, of course, a Marxist dictatorship. But on the other hand, President Xi would absolutely love to have access to all that Guyanese oil and, more importantly, A Chinese naval or army base somewhere in Guyana. And here's why they might have a little bit of a shot here. A Chinese oil company has already purchased one claim to an oil block in Guyana. And while it is true that Exxon has a much bigger set of claims, China does have a toehold. And that makes me nervous. Specifically, the Biden White House continues to be relentlessly focused on climate change and frankly destroying the oil industry, both in America and beyond. So my fear is that unless Joe Biden or his family or a Democrat donor somehow profit from this Guyana deal, he's going to end up letting the Chinese take it. So heads on a swivel when it comes to Guyana, folks, because this is ultimately about so much more than oil. In my view, it's about China being in our backyard and whether the Bidens or his climate change partners are going to end up selling us out with that. We turn to our second report of the morning, leaving Guyana for another little country. It is to Fiji we go. And this is another country that, by the way, was also first spotted by Dutch outsiders, although this time in the year 1643. And then the British, well, they showed up about 100 years later. Now, as listeners know from my special reports about the Battle for the Pacific, the Fijians were critical partners to America and her allies during World War II. They served alongside our forces in places like Guadalcanal, amongst other major battles. And it's that potential need that brings us back to Fiji again this decade as we face off with China for supremacy and influence in the Pacific once more. And for the past year, things were looking pretty good in Fiji in that overall fight with the Chinese. As you may recall, voters dumped the previous pro-China prime minister, and they elected a new guy in. His last name is Rabuka, but everybody knows him by his nickname, and that is Mr. Rambo. All right, well, most observers thought that he was firmly in our camp. Just one month ago, in fact, on October 20th, I briefed you on how he signed a deal with Australia, and he said this during a signing ceremony. Quote, We are more comfortable dealing with traditional friends. Friends that we have similar systems of government with, that our democracies are the same brand of democracy, end quote. Well, an update for you on that. One week ago, Prime Minister Rambo told his parliament that a critical update to its port and a shipyard will be done not with Western partners, but rather with China. It came a week after he met with President Xi in San Francisco, where the Chinese president made offers of help to him as a part of what's called his Belt and Road Initiative, basically free or cheap money to be loaned out for infrastructure projects all around the world. Well, apparently they also discussed this, Fiji's debt. That's because Rambo and his government owe China around $167 million for past projects. So perhaps all of that explains why Rambo is now interested in the Chinese building out two ports in his country, plus a training center for a a new generation of welders and electricians and other tradespeople. Rambo, by the way, hopes that the Chinese will teach all of these people how to build a new generation of ships, but do it in Fiji. For what it's worth, Fiji had previously been talking to the Australians about this shipbuilding project, but now, well... No word on why or when that changed. So those are the facts and data out of Fiji this morning. Let me offer my analysis and opinion on what might be going on. So I see one of three possibilities. First, China has blackmail material on Rambo. And to me, that would not be surprising at all. Using that blackmail stuff is what the Chinese do, and they do it very well. They play dirty. The second possibility is that Rambo is angling for the best deal that he can get, right? He prefers the West, but he's going to flirt with Beijing a little bit to get us fired up and jealous. And he hopes that we will then offer to say, pay down his debt or give him an even sweeter deal on that new port or a shipbuilding center. Now, the third possibility, and I have to keep this a little bit vague, sometimes in the world of espionage a friend or an ally helps you to set a trap. And it might seem like that friend is doing something wrong or unhelpful, but actually, secretly, they're doing something quite remarkable for you. And I'll just leave that idea right there for you to consider. But regardless, I'll be watching this like a hawk because as the Pacific goes, ladies and gentlemen, frankly, so goes Hawaii and Guam and our troops in Japan and South Korea. In other words, friends, this region really does matter. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. We'll be right back. My friends, for the past few months, you have heard me talk about Jace Medical. It's the company that provides you medication for emergency use, like antibiotics. Also, they get you backup prescriptions for things like cholesterol, diabetes, and blood pressure. And here's why I love Jace Medical so much. If you are a farming or a ranching family, or you live in the back 40, it is pretty tough to get a hold of a doctor, to travel to the appointment, get the prescription, you fill it, and so forth. But with Jace Medical, all you have to do is fill out a simple online form, and in some cases have a quick call with one of their board-certified physicians. And then you get the medication right in the mail. You also get ongoing care from Jace physicians about any treatment-related questions, which is fantastic. In other words, folks, you get peace of mind, you get convenience, and you get an emergency supply of medicines no matter where you are. And that is great for a lot of people. Rural families, folks who are traveling, or those of us who might be a little bit anxious these days about our unpredictable world, and you might prefer to have an emergency supply of medicines on hand, and that's kind of smart. So do what I've done. Go to jasemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Enter that promo code right. W-R-I-G-H-T is the spelling, and when you do, you will get a right report discount again my friends go to jacemedical.com, promo code right and get the supply of medicines you need folks Shipped straight to your door welcome back to the right report let's continue shall we with our trip around the world this morning with a big stop in europe and for this one folks we are going to put on our cia hats i want you to imagine that you are an analyst working with operators like me who are sending you intel on five different european countries And you are going to brief the White House on what it all means, the the big picture of where the continent is heading. And that's important. It could affect our $1 trillion trade relationship, amongst other things. So as your operator, I'm going to brief you on intel from five countries in Europe. And as we cover each, I would encourage you to think about the common threads, the, the macro trends, as it were. Plus, consider whether those trends, whether they might be happening here, in the u.s too and if so what might that mean for us so let's begin and let's start with a brief from the netherlands conservative politician gert Velders shocked european leaders when he and his party came in first place in a dutch election held last week his party called the freedom party took a majority of the votes that frankly surprised even mr Velders. he tweeted out a picture of himself that looked quite shocked he then promised his people that quote we are going to work hard to put dutch people first again end quote now what he's referring to there is his nation's policies at least that he's arguing have previously prioritized migrants asylum seekers and climate change initiatives all to the detriment of native people and farmers and some of his claims i will say they can't be argued for instance The current Dutch government has promised to confiscate farms and ranches to stop climate change, they say. In fact, I briefed you on that scheme back on July 10th. But other policies and promises of Mr. Wilders are a little bit more controversial, subjective, and they have gotten him into some pretty hot water. For instance, he has promised to ban the Islamic holy book, the Quran, in his country, Plus, he has promised to shut down mosques and to close the borders to any migrants from Islamic countries. He also argues that many of the country's migrants and asylum seekers, most of whom, by the way, are young men, they have driven up crime in his country. Plus, cost of housing has gone up as well, all because of the massive numbers of migrants over the past 10 years or so. Well, based on all those beliefs and arguments the people of the Netherlands considered each and said, yes, they agree with him and that was a shocker certainly to the leftist government in the netherlands and throughout europe and as you would imagine all the media outlets in both europe and the u.s that drift left they all branded this guy as quote the trump of the netherlands as we would imagine that of course is a smear comparing him to former u.s president donald trump so that is the latest ladies and gentlemen out of the netherlands we now go to ireland where the government there is also facing allegations of changing the face of that country with migrants, despite the fact that the people don't support it. Plus, there are allegations that the government there is also aggressively pursuing climate change with promises to slaughter 200,000 cows to do their part to save the planet. But I bring this news to you from Ireland because of the migrant crisis. It drove some news late last week. And here's what happened. A migrant who was allegedly from Algeria took a knife and stabbed four people outside of an elementary school, including three little kids. In fact, one little girl was stabbed so horrifically that she remains in intensive care as of this morning. In fact, it's uncertain as to whether or not she'll live. And that crime set up a riot last week amongst a group of mostly young Irish men. They torched buses, they attacked police officers. They claimed that that attack by this Algerian should have never have happened. They say that immigrant should have never been in the country in the first place. And as they argue, here's the point, 20% of people living in Ireland right now are born outside of Ireland, right? And that number is way up from a handful of percentage points from only 10 to 20 years ago. And that change, as they correctly point out, was intentional. Right, Governments, especially leftist governments in Ireland over the years, have opened up the country's doors to more and more migrants and more and more asylum seekers. Now, as for why they would do that, the government would do that, well, the Irish Prime Minister, Leo Varadkar, says that that's just the Irish way to accept outsiders. But there's also this. He told Parliament recently that his country was simply too white. As he explained, the Irish military, the civil service, the police and education departments are all terribly white. And his government needed to set that straight. They needed quotas to bring in other kinds of people with different skin colors. White, in other words, just is no good. Well, one could argue that such a thing is a bit divisive and combustible, although people do defend him. His fellow leftists say that he's right, that Ireland needs to diversify. And Ireland clearly needs to combat hate and Islamophobia. And yet people counter that. His detractors say he's missing the point, right? The, as the migrant population has risen, so too his crime dramatically. And that's true no matter their color or religion. It's just bad. Second, these folks point out that an increasing number of native Irish families have been made homeless because of a skyrocketing housing crisis and cost. in in fact cnn reported that homelessness amongst native irish families is up more than two hundred and twelve percent since the year 2014 and that crisis that percentage increase has been driven in no small part because of the dramatic increase of migrants and asylum seekers who obviously need a home as well but that debate aside the irish government along with leftist and nonprofit groups and media outlets in ireland are saying look the riots last week are all really about hatred and bigotry. And so the government has announced that it will move forward with updating their hate crime laws. And once they do, folks, here is what will happen. If you go to Ireland and someone believes or perceives that you harmed them because of their age, disability, race, color, nationality, ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, gender, whew, well, If you do that and somebody believes or perceives you did it because of those reasons, that's a hate crime, right? And it is punishable by time in prison, up to and including. Well, amongst the early prisoners could be someone you know. There's a fella named Conor McGregor. He's a UFC fighter. And he is under the microscope this morning because last week he blasted his government for both the migrant crisis and the attack on the kids. Saying that while he did not agree with the riots or the rioters, he understood the underlying anger. And for that, he is now being investigated for a hate crime. For what it's worth, he is responding by promising to run for office. And he said he is going to change his country back to how it was. So that's Ireland this morning. Let's now jet off to France. Six teenagers in that country, all Muslim migrants, went on trial on Monday for beheading a popular school teacher. The defendants, aged 13 to 15 when they committed the act, targeted the school teacher after he was holding a class on ethics. As he was discussing free speech, he held up a magazine that had a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad, and he spoke of how divisive that was for many Muslims and why they considered it heresy, but he spoke of the importance of free speech in a modern French society. Well, that caused outrage, especially amongst his Muslim students, and so they and some of their families targeted the school teacher, and they cut off his head. Well, lawyers for the students say that they are very sorry for what they did. They call their actions, quote, errors of youth, end quote. By the way, there are also eight adults who are implicated in this beheading. They go on trial next year. For folks unaware, this is one of the more infamous cases in France recently, a, a country that has been racked by protests and violence, mostly between native French people and migrants from mostly northern Africa and mostly Muslim. And all of that conflict, no matter who you think is right or wrong or bears more responsibility, well, it is starting to change French politics. A poll out last month shows that the leading conservative party in France called Le Pen has taken a comfortable lead over the current party in power and its president, a fellow named Emmanuel Macron. Now, as in the Netherlands, that fact that Le Pen is winning, it's shocking to a lot of people, specifically European leftists and the media in Europe. Indeed, they have branded Le Pen as far right or radical right. Many are comparing Le Pen's leader to another leader. Yes, the one named Donald Trump. So from France, we now hop over the border into Germany this morning, where a series of polls that came out last month also showed another shocker there. The conservative party called AFD now polls higher than the three leftist parties and centrist parties that are currently leading that country. And I say it's pretty shocking because AFD has historically been labeled as the party of the Nazis or the radical right. In fact, they have been put under domestic surveillance out of these very concerns. But but voters don't seem to especially care, at least not a lot of them. In fact, AFD recently scored its very first mayoral win in that country. And now with these latest poll results, it's pretty clear that a growing number of Germans are moved by this party's promises and beliefs. And here's what they believe. Migrants, they say, and asylum seekers are largely not good for the country. They're not interested in being German, and they're driving up crime throughout the country. And for what it's worth, there's good data to back up that claim, at least about crime. A study from 2018 showed that crime in Germany is driven disproportionately by young migrant men, largely from the Middle East and North Africa. Now, whether or not AFD continues this march towards electoral victory yeah that remains to be seen but in june there are elections for the european parliament and afd plans on running a candidate his name is maximilian kron so we're gonna have to wait to see until then what happens finally this morning we leave germany and we touch down in the lovely country of switzerland as listeners know that nation is known for a number of things well first of all it's mountain beauty uh, second, its commitment to neutrality and, well, at least as of last month, voters who are sick and tired of migrants. So here's that news. The Swiss People's Party, which has been labeled by European and American press outlets as being right wing, they took the greatest share of votes in election last month for the lower House of Parliament. That explained their victory. The Swiss People Party's uh, spokesperson said, quote, we have problems in this country with immigration, with illegal migrants. We have asylum chaos, a population of 8.7 million people increasing to 10 million because of illegal migrants. That is a topic we really have to solve, end quote. Now, last month's vote does not change the federal government in Switzerland, nor does it change the upper house of parliament. But It makes pretty clear, according to local pollsters, that the people of that country are growing more conservative than they were in previous elections. And that, they say, may mean that more change is set to come in not only Switzerland, but well beyond. And with that, my friends, we conclude our five country swing through Europe this morning with election results and political drama and upheaval in the Netherlands, in Ireland, France, Germany and Switzerland. So getting back to how we kicked off this brief with our CIA hats on, what did you see in our five stops this morning? What are the the themes, the key takeaways, and what does it all mean? And I should ask you, what does it mean for not just Europeans, but perhaps us as well? Are there any parallels between what they are experiencing and perhaps what we are experiencing? Well, let's dive into that, shall we? let's pivot from facts and data to analysis and opinion. First, just a quick administrative note. Today's transcripts are chocked full of original source documents and reporting with the information that I just shared with you. Click on an underlying word and it will take you to the original website. That, of course, is for my paid subscribers. Second, For longtime listeners, you all know that we have been keeping a pretty good pulse on this topic for a while now. We have discussed how conservatives are also taking over in Sweden, Finland, Italy, Slovakia, largely because of the continent's migrant crisis or related spikes in crime, housing costs, or cultural clashes related to those migrants. But here's the point. In virtually every case that we have discussed, both previously and today in Europe, it's the same story voters have looked at what's happening and they are saying that they have had enough right they say that their nations are changing in ways that are unacceptable and they want to go back to how things used to be well in virtually every case the causes of these migrant crises and the things related to it are all from policies that were drafted by leftist governments in other words it was a choice to open the borders and transform the entire continent whether that be Ireland, Germany, Sweden, Italy, it was a coordinated effort to change the literal face of Europe. And obviously voters are saying, no, thank you. But when they are doing such a thing, what do we hear today? And what have we heard previously? The consistent response from either these leftist governments or leftist media outlets is that voters are bigots, racist, far right. And this one's my personal favorite. They're a MAGA lover or Trump In fact, we have heard this smear well beyond Europe as well. Recently, you might recall my brief on Argentina's new president. He was called the Trump of the Pampas. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, he did the same thing recently in Canada, too. Still, I tell you, what's more frightening, I think, for us to consider this morning is what's happening in Ireland. Conor McGregor is now under investigation for a hate crime to be prosecuted and perhaps put in prison. Oh, because he would like for his government to please reestablish law and order to to have borders and to get rid of or limit migration. And that is so unacceptable to his leftist government that they're going to make it a crime. They are investigating him as I speak. So we've got a few things to consider this morning with our CIA hats on. How would we describe to policymakers what's happening in Europe? And how could that impact our trade relationships of a trillion dollars, plus our global efforts at diplomacy? Well, as you think about that, let's take our CIA hats off for a bit. As a voter, what does this stuff in Europe say to you about America? All right, what did you just hear that is happening over there that might be happening here as well? Is there a parallel? Might there be a pattern? And if there is, and I think there might be, if voters like you then say no more, we, we want the old America, the one that we had even 10, 20 years ago, how might our leftist government under Joe Biden or our leftist media under, well, all of them respond when you make this decision at the ballot box? Because that's really important, right? We have a presidential election coming up in less than one year. An election, which, of course, will almost certainly involve what we can now say is the world's boogeyman, Donald Trump. So as you consider your view on how what's happening in Europe might translate to this country, let me offer you this. Having spent time abroad with my CIA hat on, what I found again and again was that governments of all kinds, left and right, who are involved in a, a profound change or a revolution, They are not interested in meeting you halfway on anything. Certainly not if you threaten their agenda or power or money. And if you are a serious threat to their agenda, power or money, ladies and gentlemen, be very careful. Live very carefully. Keep very peaceful. And I'm worried about that because if we look at this country, right, we've got a lot of the same characteristics and ingredients that Europe has right? We've got an illegal migrant crisis that frankly is bad and getting worse. And we also know that this crisis has been created by policies, sanctuary city policies, mostly in cities. But we also have the federal government that is doing much the same. And then in terms of our government itself, well, the Biden White House could solve a lot of the migrant crisis. They've they've got policy choices. They've got covert action. We've talked about that a lot. But The White House and Biden's party, they're not going to adopt any of those policies. And again, that's a choice. And so the choice is leading to a remaking of the nation, one million migrants per year or two million at a time. So I advise us, based on my experience living abroad and watching what I think is a mini revolution or certainly a changing of this country through migration and those policies that are very much purposeful. Well, Again, live very carefully, live peacefully. But as I often say, get your family and your friends to the polls, especially for those local elections, but the federal ones as well, because otherwise I fear that we could end up like Ireland. We will have a leader or a government who says that our country has to get rid of a a certain set of skin colors. And if you disagree, they'll target you for prosecution, for a hate crime. And that includes... Even if you're a famous UFC fighter, it won't matter. They will target you, all because you had the audacity to not only disagree, but ultimately to get in the way. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. Well, we have covered a lot of great news this morning and our heads might be a little bit full of not only facts and data, but just a touch of anxiety. So we are going to hold off on a listener question for today and come back at it tomorrow. And I will see you tomorrow. God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the gospel of John chapter eight, verse 32. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Good day.